0: Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, My guest in this episode has applied sports science uh, at the very top end of uh, the athlete world. He has worked uh, in football on uh, two particular codes, uh, being AFL and also uh, the round ball at some of the biggest clubs in Australia and around the world. The likes of Melbourne, Port Adelaide, the Socceroos. Arsenal, and Liverpool, uh, to name just a few of them. So it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Darren Burgess. How are you, Darren? Good, thanks, nice Tim. To, nice to be on, on the show. I appreciate the invitation. We appreciate you uh, you sparing the time for us. Uh, Darren, you spend so much of your time looking after everyone else's welfare. How How's your own?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for the question. Um <laughs> Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's a top year last year uh, for many different reasons, but uh, in particular, know, yeah, going up and uh, spending three months away from sort of home and family and the hub uh, mm. in Queensland, which was fantastically put on by the AFL, but it was it was pretty brutal. But um, uh, we're back now uh, in some sort of sense of normality here in Australia compared to the rest of the world. So uh, coping okay. I
1: think. Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, look, I don't want to. Uh, th- th- Test your humility here, uh, Darren. Straight away, but Melbourne, uh, where you're currently at, flying uh, in season 2021. How much credit can you take for that? <laughs> uh, no, look,
2: um, I've had a lot of people say what's the difference this year compared to last year, and and um, look, the players deserve. Uh, to, for me, the players and the coaches deserve all the credit. They've they're, they're the ones doing the hard work. We just sort of provide myself and my team provide a. A platform with which they can do their work and and uh i'm really really happy to see them getting a reward for their effort of course we're nine rounds in and there's still a whole lot to play uh so we're not getting carried away but it's a it's a it's a good start really Mm. good start
1: well without divulging too many of your secrets darren are you doing anything differently have you have you sort of completely revamped the program there
2: no not necessarily um uh what what the players have done is is developed a a really good tolerance to work and i think sometimes uh, we in the sports science world can protect them too much by not letting them train and not letting them work Whereas our philosophy has been to try and protect them from future injury by building up some resilience in their, in their workload and, and trying to be as specific to footy as possible. So not just running laps or anything like that, mm. but trying to build up some uh, really specific resilience, both on the field and in the gym and, and wherever else we can. And hopefully that's paying dividends. Look, at, you know, we can only do what we think is right and so far so good.
1: There's been a lot of talk this year about uh, the the huge number of injuries a- across the entire league. Uh, you mentioned, um, you know, the the, the idea of, of of not just putting people on the sidelines and have them sort of sit out and nurse their their injuries. How are you managing that? The the huge toll that is obviously taking on the players' bodies and their fitness levels, but also you know keeping them running at full tilt through four quarters every week. Yeah, it's it, to
2: be honest, Tim. It's been a pretty brutal first uh, two and a half months. And if you include pre-season, three months, um, uh, the injury rates uh, across the league, uh, uh, the likes of which I've been seen before. So um, it has been tough and it has been a real balancing act um, for, for the whole sort of coaching and, and fitness and medical team. And how we're doing it, we're still going with the philosophy of, um, excuse me, when, uh, when we can, putting heavy load into the players um, and obviously, when it's not appropriate to do so, recovering them well. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been a real balancing act um, to try and prepare the guys for battle each week because nobody mm. knew the rotations were less. The time was extended. Nobody knew what the game was going to look like. And really, after nine rounds, we're starting to get a view that the intensity is still good and high. Um, uh, but the players are being asked to perform that intensity for longer than they did last year yep. um, and before, in fact. So, um, yeah, it's a, bit, it's a demanding process for for all of us. Um, and hopefully we're, we're getting to a level now where it'll start to even out across the league because everybody wants to see the best players play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, last year was a pretty chaotic and unpredictable time for everyone, not just in AFL, not just in the world of, of sport. What did you learn as far as your role goes uh, as someone who's got to get the best out of these guys? Uh, What did you learn from a sports science perspective from last year?
2: Yeah, I guess I was a bit fortunate uh, in coming from a soccer sort of background where we're used to getting players up and ready to play, you know, three, four days in between games, sometimes two over the Christmas period in the Premier League. So having that shorter period between games, uh, we felt like we handled that pretty well. Um, because we could rely on experience um, of a few of the staff who would worked overseas. So what did I learn? I learned that the players, um, if they buy in, can really achieve anything um, from a physical point of view. And they did buy in. Uh, I learned um, the importance of mental state on physical performance and injuries. Um, that was really, really heightened by, you know, some players who struggled a bit in the hub, some coaches some fitness people who struggled from time to time It really did affect their performance. Um, and, and affected some injury rates. So uh, we certainly pay more attention to that. Um, now, the players importantly learned that they can back up after two or three days, you know, traveling the day of the game, whatever the AFL threw at us and whatever our fixture threw at us, um, they learned that, you know what, we can just tolerate that. And there's been a couple of occasions this year where that's come uh, in handy. We had to travel a day of the game to Hobart, um, you know, on a 7.30 a.m. flight to play at 1 p.m. So, you know, those sort of challenges uh, we were able to handle a lot better having gone through last year.
1: How much did you love the shorter quarters?
2: Yeah, it was great. (laughs) Loved it. uh, Our players loved it. Everybody loved it. I'm, you know, it's not my, you know, position to stay, to say uh, what the game should look like. That's for far smarter people than me, but uh, I'd be certainly keen to bring it back uh, a little bit anyway, because everything was more intense and dynamic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, for
1: sure, I enjoyed it. I'm keen to hear what your actual day looks like. So we know how professional uh, AFL players have to be this day, these days. But um, firstly, paint a picture for us on on game day. I mean, I'm sure you're there, and to some extent, you're watching uh, as you know thousands of spectators would. But what you have to look at on the ground is quite different to just about anyone else uh, in the arena on that day. Can you can you talk us through what a game day looks like from your point of view?
2: Yeah, it's, it's not as glamorous as what uh, some would think. Um, yeah. uh, so the players are expected to arrive some somewhere around two hours before the game. Um, I'm probably there three hours before, um, just making sure that uh, everything is in order and, and just getting everything set up. So uh, we've got great staff here who do some unbelievable work. Um, But there's a lot that goes into the nutrition and getting the GPS ready and getting all the computers and the iPads ready for for when the game uh, starts, when the players arrive. Um, I'm normally looking at some individuals who like a little bit of specificity in their sort of warm up. I'm a big believer in letting the players uh, prepare themselves. Um, Obviously, I'm involved in coaches meetings, speaking to coaches about rotations and things like that. I take the team warm up, which is sort of 15 minutes before the game starts. Um, and then during the game, it's probably the more intense period because I've generally got my head in an iPad looking at rotations. Mm. Uh, my sports scientist, David Regan, is behind sort of letting me know, because all the players are wearing GPS, letting me know when players are fatigued and then it's um, good, he's great, he leaves all the rotations up to myself. so. I'm in charge of when players come off, who comes on, what position they play. Um, I've got the earphones in so I can hear what the coaches are talking about, um, and then try and make decisions on the run. Uh, the sports scientist might be saying that um, Cosie Pickett is is flagging for fatigue, and I've just I'm trying to watch, saying, well, you know what, he's just kicked two. Uh, I'm probably not going to take him off because he's feeling really good. Um, let me know when it's urgent. He might say it's urgent and the player might mm. not want to come off. And so you're managing all those situations um, at once. So uh, keeping an eye on the number, on the cap now, keeping an eye on how much, the, how, many, how many rotations the opposition have had to see if they try and get a jump on us. Um, so I don't get to watch the game. I typically go home and watch it afterwards. Um, yeah, right. That's the frustration of my partner. Um, <laughs> but uh, Yeah, that's, that's typically... Um, what a day looks like. And then afterwards, there's recovery. Uh, The players who didn't play, if they're a medical sub and didn't play or if someone we carried over, we go on the field afterwards, myself and and Selwyn, um, our head of S&C, we'll go out and train them. Um, And then I'll be back in with the coaches just talking about, okay, next week, this is what it looks like. Uh, Player A, B and C had had a corky from the game, so he might not train early in the week. So. Pretty full on day. Normally, don't leave till sort of two hours after the game finishes.
1: Yeah, right. So, a, a lot of intelligence gathering as well as critical decisions uh, in the moment.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I've uh, 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 this weekend uh, got into trouble, made a made a slightly wrong rotation, and got yelled out by the coaches and, <laughs> and some of the staff who were listening. Oh, that was pretty full on. Oh, I've been yelled at by better coaches than that, and more often than that, you know. So, um, yeah. Yeah, you've got to be on point and got to be ready to go.
1: Uh, there are some, you know, old school footy fanatics who think that there's there's too much science, there's too much data, there's too much worrying about the numbers, and not enough of just getting on with the game that they uh, that they grew up loving. Which has changed obviously over the years. Uh, what, what do you say to people who think that that is the case?
2: Yeah, I think I think there is. Uh, I think. Sorry, we went as an industry, we went down that path, maybe. Uh, five years ago, uh, where there was probably a bit too much. Um, But I think we've come back into a nice balance now. Uh, The really good practitioners around the league uh, appreciate the need for, um, you know, for players to be on the ground longer than what the data might suggest if they've got a good matchup and um, who can have a feel for the game and feel for training. And, you know, I remember Oh, 10 years ago a lot of leagues a lot of clubs were counting kicks goal kicks players can only have 10 shots after a mm. game because of fear of quad injuries I've never done that in my life because kicking goals is, is pretty bloody important to <laughs> win your game so um so I think there is maybe there's a um uh a tendency to do that at times but I think as an industry we've we've come back from that and we're in a pretty good balance now, particularly, you know, some of the really good experienced practitioners.
1: Yeah. Darren, we need to take a a quick break. After that, I want to ask you about your experience uh, in a different football code. Uh, And I'll have to... um come clean. I'm a massive Arsenal fan, so I'm intrigued by your time uh, at the Gunners, so I'm going to pick your brain about that. Uh, Darren Burgess is our special guest, high performance manager currently at the Melbourne Footy Club. This is Inspiring Stories, back with more in just a moment.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Fitness guru uh, Darren Burgess is our special guest in this episode. Uh, Let's wind the clock back uh, pre-Melbourne Football Club for a moment, Darren. Uh, You spent a couple of years uh, at my favourite Premier League club in Arsenal. So I I need to know all about that. Give us the inside word uh, from your time at the Gunners. Firstly, how did you come to hook up with Arsenal?
2: It was very much out of the blue. I got a phone call uh, late one night after a game, in fact, uh, when I was working for Port Adelaide um, by a gentleman by the name of Ivan Gazidis, who was the CEO of Arsenal at the time. And, and, um, yeah, it was completely out of the blue. I have no idea how he got my number
1: or anything like that. How does he even know who the high-performance managers are in a foreign league in a foreign country? Uh, Did someone recommend you?
2: Yeah, as it turned out, they um, they identified the need to bring somebody in to help their department because their injury rates were, were pretty ordinary and you would know this being a, mm. being a fan. There was a lot of frustration around uh, the high injury rates. So they identified the need to bring someone in and then they went and did their own search. And uh, I spoke to a couple of people um, who recommended myself, one of which was the owners of Liverpool who I worked mm-hmm. with previously, the, the Fenway Sports Group guys who who um you know i had a pretty good relationship with i guess um and uh then they spoke to some people in france that i'd worked with and um yeah and they fortunately mentioned my name and a couple of others and then they went through a bit of a process where we were speaking you know every sort of five or six days for about three or four weeks and um yeah then they thought uh The interviews went well enough to fly me over. And um, I met Arsene Wenger in Nice. Um, I flew on a Friday morning and got back to Adelaide by Monday morning um, and had about 12 hours with Arsene um, in a hotel in Nice. And yeah, yeah, by the time I flew back uh, to Adelaide, I'd had a contract emailed to me. So um, Mm. it was was very much a whirlwind sort of four days uh, of which two of them were, three of them were spent flying.
1: Did you and us and just nerd out about sports science? I mean, yeah, knowing yeah. some of his background, yeah. He's a revolutionary, isn't he? He was credited with really bringing a new level of sports science to the Premier League when he arrived back in the mid 90s. I think wasn't he's he? underappreciated um, yeah.
2: for sure, because unfortunately Arsenal didn't get the success that um that Man United got at the time and, and so but he, he was incredible attention to detail. Um he asked a lot of questions about football. I think he had some doubts. In fact, I know he had some doubts about me being a football person. Um, uh, so he asked me a lot about football. Unfortunately, you know, I'm a, I'm a football lover. So um, mm. I was able to answer a lot of historical information about about players and events and, and games. Mm. Um, yeah, and then uh, when I got there... Um, yeah, he still had some distrust because there was a lot that needed to be changed and he was very loyal to some of those people who perhaps um uh weren't doing as well as what or weren't up to the level that he was um and so you know we made some changes pretty early on which i think caught him off guard a bit um, mm. people that he'd worked with quite closely but then as uh as i would hope uh he would gain trust as i as he knew that i was in the club for the right reasons and uh, and that happened over time. And we had some pretty honest conversations when he left, which was quite a sad day. Yep. Um, and, uh, but he was an absolute pleasure to work with. Yep. Incredible human and, and coach. Uh,
1: translating your skills uh, from an AFL setting uh, to a, a different league in a different country, uh, how much of it could you take with you? Uh, to London. You'd just come off sort of five odd years at Port Adelaide. What could you yeah. take, for instance, from your time at Port Adelaide to a setup uh, like Arsenal's?
2: Fortunately, I'd had the years at the Socceroos and, and Liverpool mm. to, to prepare me for it. Arsenal was a very different role. I had, um, I can't remember the number of staff. I was, you know, in charge of the performance from the academy all the way up. Um, uh, obviously, there was a main focus on the first team, but. All the psychologists, the performance analysts, the doctors, the physios, the fitness, the nutrition, uh, all the way from the under eight all the way up. Um, so it was a, a different role. So not a lot from the sort of Port Adelaide um, other than typical overload principles and specificity and how to get players fit because Arsene wanted to, me to be sort of uh, hands on. Um, but it was more about uh, building relationships with staff, with Arsene, uh, with his staff, uh, and with the players. And I guess once they knew that I was there for them, um, uh, they were, they were quite, um, quite happy. Certainly the coaching staff were really frustrated with the service mm. they were getting. Prior to, and hopefully um, I was able to, to work with the current staff in, in mm. providing the coaches exactly what they wanted. There was this sort of reverence and fear around Arsene that mm. you, know, you can't talk to him about that, you can't talk to him about that. And so the CEO quite um, intuitively put my office literally next to Arsene's. Mm. And so um, we would have a lot of corridor and incidental conversations, which I think helped a lot.
1: Yeah. In terms of, uh, you know, comparing... Uh, the codes comparing your time. I mean, you know, there are a lot of hardcore footy fans here in Australia, but the level of fanaticism in something like the English Premier League is is just next level, isn't it? How did you go um, in what is just such a high pressure situation? How did you cope with all of that?
2: Yeah, it, it's a it's a really interesting question, Tim, because at that time Aston weren't doing particularly well. Um. Um, we were uh, navigating our way through the Europa League quite well, but Arsene was under
0: immeasurable Huge pressure. pressure.
1: Yeah.
2: And just global pressure. And, mm. and he would turn up to work every day at 6am and um, you wouldn't know it. There was just one or two occasions where I thought, yeah, okay, he looks a bit stressed, but you honestly wouldn't know it. How did I handle it? Um, the only way I sort of knew how, which was to treat... Uh, I measured as if I was treating Travis Boak or Ollie Wines, or, you know, they were just players to me. um, And I was trying to give them information to be the best players that they could be and surround them with the best service uh, in order to provide Arsene with the best, you know, available players. So um, I didn't really, I didn't read any of the, watch any of Mm. the TV shows or newspapers, or the only time it becomes, apparent is when you do pre-season tours of Asia and you have Mm. 60,000 people turn up to training and 2,000 people at the hotel foyer, um, you know, when when Mesut Ozil walks out of his room, there's just, you know, unbelievable cheering and you arrive in in a new destination at 2 a.m. in the morning uh, and there's thousands of people lining the airport streets and, you know, that's when you realise it's a slightly bigger, (laughs) you know, bigger scale uh, Yeah. They were the best times. I remember playing Napoli um, in a crucial Europa League game. And the 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 fans were four and five deep and spitting on the bus and throwing eggs on the bus the whole way from the ground to the stadium. The same in Valencia for Europa League semi-final. And it was just brilliant. Literally Mm. security (sighs) guards. Red Star Belgrade walking down the race, the tunnel, which was about 45-50 meters long. And in the tunnel they just had the most intimidating paintings on the wall and then you get to the ground and there must have been 30 enormous um army men mainly men with these huge machine guns as we're walking out
1: to start a mm-hmm. warm-up and thinking, <laughs>
2: okay this is interesting
1: yeah we're in hostile territory here yeah, yeah
2: yeah so only then did you really get the feeling that okay it's slightly bigger than just a football mate yeah a football game but yeah um i, I think you know you try not to let the pressure sort of get to you and perhaps 20 years ago i might have but i'm a bit
1: older and yeah i um, yeah, <laughs> already I'm had some runs bit. on the board yeah it, hopefully and in terms of their um you know their their processes in place their application to nutrition programs training techniques the science they apply is it quite different to afl it is um
2: One of the the things that people don't sort of uh, probably appreciate and and Aussies who would reach out and say, um, can I get a job there? And do you know anybody? Um, One of the really hard things is the different cultures coming from everywhere. We had 15 different nationalities and I think it was eight or nine different languages spoken. Mm. And so um, uh, what nutrition strategies we would apply in Australia simply don't work over there. And people go, well, no, it, it Surely nutrition is nutrition. No, no it's not. Because um, my, my first tour with Liverpool was uh, we had a pre-season camp in Switzerland, and it was just when the Spanish guys had come back from winning the World Cup. So it's Fernando Torres, Pepe Reina, you know, big names. And I wrote up the um, uh, the meal times and everything just on a whiteboard. Um, you know, it was 7 p.m. dinner, 7.30 um, p.m. physio and massage treatment. And Pepe Reina got up out of his seat and rubbed that off. For so eleven PM dinner, and, Spanish, you know, yeah, that's, of course, went, yeah, yeah. Spanish eat and yeah, and so on. Okay, seven PM, I went back up. I thought maybe he's challenging me, the new guy, uh, whatever. So I wrote back up seven PM dinner, and then eleven PM dinner in bracket Spanish, and he laughed and smiled and said, "Yep, no worries." Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, those are the things that you know. I couldn't put Alex Iwobi in a ice bath. Why would you? When the ten steps. You know, from his dressing room to an ice bath are the, the ten most nervous, stressful steps he'll take all week. Yeah. So why would I put him in that ice bath, which yeah. universally in Australia this is what we do for recovery, but mm. it's causing him way more stress than it is recovering him. So, mm. so little things like that, um, you had to learn, I guess, on the job, and you had to be observant and 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 try and take into account their culture. So, their strategies are very good. Yep. Um, but they're also different.
1: Yeah. Um, I've got to ask, uh, as as a fan of the club, as I've mentioned, um, uh, best players, fittest players, most difficult players at Arsenal that you worked with.
2: Uh, look, the best, the best player was Mesut Ozil. He was just an absolute. Uh, honestly, the things he did at training were yeah. incredible. Um, and, and he had his difficulties, and, and mm. he was much maligned for his body language um, more than anything. And so people assumed that he was lazy because of his body language. Um, when he played, uh, he was his uh, numbers uh, from running numbers were excellent. Yeah. They weren't always great defensive running numbers, um, but that's not what he was in the team for. You know, mm. his role was to provide for the team. Uh, it was other people's job to defend for him. And that's, you know, people might think, oh, no, everybody should defend. And there's a certain level, but that's not what his role was. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Watching um, Yang finish and train was incredible watching him move. Uh, I had six months with Alexis Sanchez and he was quite Mm -hmm. uh, challenging to work with Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) when games were on and, he would never if we were playing. We could be playing Wrexham in the first round of the Carlin Cup. He was like, "No, I'm playing. I'm playing. Mm. You know, I play. You don't know. I play. Mm. You know that sort of stuff." And I'm like, okay, no worries. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so I love the fact that his
1: his determination to play yeah.
2: every game um, was was incredible, and his skill level was off the charts. Yeah. Um, so probably those three uh, stood out of the young kids, but Kaya was just. Incredible, and we're starting to see that now. He yeah. Was, you know, fifteen, sixteen. Yeah. Um, you watch him in the academy, and you just thought, get this kid up and train. And Unai Emery, to his credit, recognised that early and said, no, no, no. Yeah. And you
1: know, he said he's too good for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, looking back on it, uh, you obviously arrived there at a very tumultuous time for the club, Arsene Wenger left midway through the the next season. Well, sorry, midway through the next year at the end of the, the 17, 18 season. And then look, there's been a turnover of coaches and caretaker managers uh, ever since uh, the way it all came to an end for you. Um, was it a sad time for you to get sort of s- swept out with, you know, along with, uh, you know, the pretty much the entire uh, backroom of the club?
2: Yeah, it was, it was tough. It was tough to take because, uh, I felt we were building something quite quite nicely. Um, I was recruited along with uh, Sven Mislensat, who was designed, who was brought in to recruit the best under 25 players in the world. Um, we uh, Husfami, who was a um, sort of a contract negotiator to do the deals uh, and myself and and I guess my, my team uh, um, uh, to transform those under 25 year old kids into world-class players. And we started down some of that path then when uh, Ivan left, he said to me, uh, "When Arsene left, I thought, okay, this is not perfect, but you know, let's 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 give this a chance." But then a month later, Ivan left, and Sven left, and uh, so everybody that I came with had left. And and Ivan said to me, "Look, um, you know, you're you're in a bit of trouble here." Um, mm. And I said, yep, yeah, I know that. I know how it works. Fortunately, I had good sort of contract protection. Yeah. Uh, during the year with Unai, we got along pretty well and worked pretty well together. But um, it was clear it was a very different philosophy and and that's yeah. okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the way it ended, we we had a pretty good year. And um, mm. it, it certainly, up until about a month before it happened, it, it was a bit of a surprise. But I had a bit of time to get used to the fact that I was probably going to go out the door when we uh, mm. played that Europa League final against Chelsea. and. And that's how it. it Our I would have liked to have stayed for maybe a year or two more and try and build on the good work. We saved the club over three hundred odd million dollars in injury payments. um, Wow! In the 10 years (laughs) there, so we built up a pretty good. Yeah. um, You know, a a pretty good team and a pretty good medical team, uh, a a pretty good fitness team to to help the players out. Yep. Um, But yeah, had some nice things said to me by by players and by Arsene and Mm. those sorts of things, which which help. But um that's, that's unfortunately yep. that's professional like sport that. and even worse in the Premier
1: League. Yeah, absolutely. It's a ruthless business, isn't it? One that you've uh, chosen to spend your life in. Darren, we, we need to take another break. We've got plenty more of your uh, background to get through. Uh, I'm really curious to know too how you even developed an interest uh, in elite level sports science in the first place. So that's all ahead of us. This is Inspiring Stories. Darren Burgess is our special guest. Back with more soon.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our special guest in this episode is a high-performance manager, uh, currently at Melbourne, but he's got an incredible uh, back catalogue. Darren Burgess. Uh, Darren, thanks again for your time uh, in chatting to us uh, for this episode. I-, I wanted to ask you, winding the clock way back, what's your particular background? Um, obviously, you've you've got a <laughs> a very strong interest in sport, but taking it down the avenue of sports science, where where does that all trace back to? Uh, just a failed athlete myself, Tim. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is probably a common story in your line of work, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> most
2: most people get on these podcasts and say, "Yeah, I was really good. I got an injury, and you know, then I developed an interest in in strength and conditioning or whatever." But I was just never good enough. Um, but wanted to work in sport. I, I had a sort of promising early cricket career, but um, never quite made it. And uh, yeah, just didn't really know what else to do. So. Um, yeah, this, this sports science was really in its infancy um, and yeah, I wanted to go down that path thinking that I would do an extra year and uh, of a dip ed and be a PE teacher. That's what yep. I thought I would do. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I'd take this route to it and then just sort of fell in love with all things physiology and, and sports science and um, was lucky enough to get admitted into an honours program and it sort of stemmed from there, got a part-time job with the Sydney Swans and yeah, it sort of Stem from that. Didn't get a full-time job till I was 28, 29, because there just weren't any around. Um, But yeah, thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed the choice. And and even though there's been some downs, there's been more ups and
1: yeah. I I read somewhere that um, when you graduated uh, from uni in 1994, you were keen to go and work in England. You sent out uh, something like 92 letters to professional football clubs. Over there, you got three responses. That all said no. The other the 89 didn't even bother getting back to you. Uh, yeah, they were letters. Uh,
2: yeah. there's no other way to communicate with them. And, you know. Um,
1: so you physically so, yeah, just no. tapped out a letter, stuck it in the post, yep. put a stamp on it. Stuck it in the, post, hope post, for the put an
2: international stamp on it. Uh, spent the money that I was uh, earning at Pizza Hut on stamps and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, sent them across and Wrexham, Leicester, and. I've forgotten the other one. Scunthorpe, pod. I think you found Scunthorpe. it. Scunthorpe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, well done. Well done, yeah, <laughs> Scunthorpe. Uh, so, um, yeah, at least they bothered replying, which is great. The others didn't. So. Yeah.
1: And, and finally, you did get the call-up from Liverpool. I mean, as 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 prestige clubs go, as much as I had to say it even as an Arsenal fan, they don't get much bigger than, than Liverpool Football Club. I mean, what were you thinking when you finally got word from them that they wanted you to, to go and work for them. I know it was sometime after 1994, but when you, when you got the call to go and work for Liverpool, what, what goes through your mind?
2: Yeah, to be honest, um, because uh, an Aussie doctor, uh, Peter Brookner had sort of um, been over there and done a bit of a audit of the place and mentioned, look, uh, yeah, the fitness isn't quite what it should be. Would you be interested? And I said, yes, I was working with the Socceroos at the time and we were trying to qualify for the world cup. So it just was straight out of my mind. Um, mm. I just said, yep, you know, if they want to speak to me, I'm happy because I don't know what I'm doing after the World Cup. The moment it hit, though, Tim, was I reckon we – I'd been at the club for two weeks, and uh, one of the physios who was there said, I'm just going to pop down to Anfield to um, make sure the dressing room is stocked and um, uh, with everything that we need. Do you want to come and have a look around? And I went, holy shit. I'm, mm. I'm uh, going to Anfield. Mm. And so I went down with him and yeah, I just remember just walking in the dressing room like it was walking into your office. And I thought I'm going to, and he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go down the race. (laughs) look. You know, so yeah, I walked down the tunnel and tapped the sign and walked up and thought, yeah, this is this is a nice place to work. So then it really sort of hit me that that okay, this is yeah, I've been lucky enough to work with the soccer roos and I still say no matter what that that's I won't have a better job in life than than working for your national team and a sport yep. that you're passionate about. So yep. um and being able to go with them on the journey to the World Cup was was um, yeah, as as good as I'll ever do um, and as happy as I'll ever be. But um, uh, yeah, that was pretty special. The first game in Anfield, we played Arsenal. Uh, it was a one-one. George Cole got sent off, and um, yeah, that, that was a pretty, a pretty surreal moment. Um, yeah, yeah, that was going.
1: Can I ask uh, on a personal level? Um, it, it's it's something um, you know. It's an unusual profession that you are in, and, and in terms of maintaining a. Uh, a work-life balance and having a a harmonious domestic life, if you like, you know, having to drag your family around essentially from place to place. And, you know, you being away a lot, Uh, is that tough to manage?
2: Yeah, it is. And I I probably haven't always managed it as well as I I should have. Um, So, yeah, it's certainly tough, um, but uh, it's also really um, rewarding from an adventure point of view. Like my kids Mm. uh, were both born in Liverpool And they, um, so they're little Scousers and and (laughs) city, even if I don't, you know, if Mm. I didn't support Liverpool, they would. Um, and, uh, they got to, to do two years in a a really nice sort of, uh, school in London. And as a result of that, um, I got to take them to, I I took my son to, um, Tottenham versus Barcelona at the new camp in Spain. And, and, you know, we so they got to experience, they went to Spain a few times, to France, to Scotland. To, they got to experience a different way of, of doing things. My, my kids have been lucky enough to be in the dressing room of, um, you know, of Port Adelaide, of Arsenal. They've met Arsene Wenger and, and uh, I've got pictures of my son running around Anfield with a ball. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's some perks to it. Um, mm. there, are, there are weekend work and things like that, which is not usual. Mm. Um, but on the whole, uh, I'm, I wouldn't take it back and wouldn't swap their upbringing, yeah. um, you know, for, for, for anything.
1: In, and in terms of the, uh, the the knowledge that you picked up when you were, say, at, at uni, you know, a few years ago, compared to now, how much has it changed? How much has your job changed? Um,
2: I guess as you work your way up, you know, my job now includes aspects of psychology and and things like that which which were never part of it early on it was just um uh trying this amount one day the next amount the next the next amount the next so excuse me that was um it certainly changed in terms of the philosophies uh, around sports science it actually hasn't changed that much yeah you know good nutrition good recovery and good progressive overload of training um it's all pretty similar to what you know we've been doing for for many you know many experienced people before me and after me will do the same have the same sort of methodology so it hasn't changed that that much what we do have now is more tools to be able to evaluate yeah. how we're going so a yeah. lot more technology and, and and now I'm managing a nutritionist a podiatrist a yoga instructor uh, all these things which I've never I never had to do because I did all of those in the early mm. days when when mm. we just didn't know any better. Um,
1: what about on a level, you know, that you engage with the players with? I mean, you, you think of some of the uh, the philosophies and the approaches uh, in years gone by. If you want to talk about AFL, you know, the Ron Barassi sort of method of just hairdryer in the face. You know, you don't see that much. You don't see Sir Alex Ferguson's sort of same hairdryer in the face um, berating players anymore. Um, in terms of your role, the way that you talk to players encourage them guide them have you had to sort of modify that yourself over the years as well
2: yeah it's a great great question great point uh, absolutely I've had to um in the early days uh I remember um uh Gerrard telling me that um and I, I know that sounds like I'm name dropping but I remember <laughs> now no, I remember because it came from him and I said well, what makes a good fitness coach and he said um previous fitness coach under rafa benitez um i liked as a guy but he didn't get me fit uh, the one before that the benitez brought over first um hated him i won't say the exact word he used but <laughs> i respected him more because we were incredibly fit team
0: yeah
2: and so that sort of changed my dynamic a bit a lot of people uh, in the job make mistakes and i made the mistake early when i was working with the swans of going out with the players and thinking how good this i'm going out with Michael O'Loughlin or Adam Goods or Leo Barry. Um, mm. But uh, nowadays um, I find it um, easier to be separated from them. And it, that's obvious because I'm 47 and they're, you know, 20 and what have you. Um, but I do find I have to work harder to find a common ground. Um, yeah. And so I try and work on, okay, do they support NBA? Can I give them a few NBA stories? Um, what are you guys watching on Netflix? Uh, you know, those sorts of things. And so they at least throw a bit of humour in, you know, to try and um, let them know that I'm not this um, ogre fitness coach, old grey-haired, old school, try and relate to them on that sort of level. Yeah. Whereas over in over in the UK... If they don't respect you, it doesn't matter how funny you are or how much you know who LeBron James is, LeBron James is, um, it doesn't matter. It's all about earning their respect.
1: Yeah. Darren we need to take another break uh, and then a little bit more uh, after that your time um, well at Port Adelaide we've barely touched on that but um, you certainly spent a big chunk of your career there as well. Uh, Keen to know what's next for you as well not that I'm forecasting the end of your time at Melbourne Football Club but uh, where your next adventure might take you as well. This is Inspiring Stories Darren Burgess is our special guest we'll be back with more in just a moment.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is high-performance guru in Darren Burgess. Uh, Darren, before we talk about uh, Port Adelaide, because I know you've spent quite a while there, um, you, you've mentioned previously that the 2010 Socceroos World Cup was a career highlight for you. Um, for fans of the Socceroos who followed them for a long time, uh, a World Cup that we've been pretty keen to forget. Why is it so uh, strong in your memory as as being a highlight? I mean, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't a great performance from the team, was it?
2: Yeah, I think most people a um, don't recall what we had to do to qualify. So we were the first group to have to go through Asia, and that mm. meant. Um, incredibly tough conditions traveling to places we'd never been before in extreme temperatures. I remember um, we were playing the UAE and uh, I went to the ref and said, look, it's 47 degrees. We can't play in this 47 degrees. And the ref got the thermometer, took it in the shade under the grandstand and said, see, 40, no problem. (laughs) so it, all those sort of scenarios and bringing yeah. the, the superstars back from um, the European freezing cold into these extreme climates. So to qualify without losing a game was extraordinary for starters. Yeah. Then when we went there, we had four points, which is the same as what Hiddink's group had the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that we're in a tougher group. That, mm-hmm. that four points wasn't enough. We went out on goal difference. Um, we had Harry, uh, Tim Cale and Harry Kirill sent off in successive games. Um, so I think people were probably a bit unforgiving and that's mainly because Pim Verbeek was a bit abrasive and, mm. you know, this sort of, not this Dutchman. I guarantee if Hiddink had have stayed longer than six months, yeah. people would have thought the same as him. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think we, and Pim Verbeek, I must say, was the one of the best, if not the best coach that I've worked with as a human, as a gentleman, as a friend. You know, it's an absolute tragedy uh, what happened to him. Yeah. So I think for... Um, if people look back at it a little bit more objectively, they'll realise what an achievement it was from that group of players.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Port Adelaide, you were there for quite a stint in your career, Um, you know, credited with really uh, developing a a strong running side there um, in the Ken Hinckley days. Is is that a highlight for you as well? Really sort of turning turning around the, the nature of play, particularly in a team like that? Yeah,
2: it was. It was. Uh, I absolutely loved the time. there. great club, great people, and I'd never met Ken, but um, we just had a synergy because he just said, "No, I want players who can run. I don't really care if they make mistakes with the ball, or maybe we lose a few players with injuries early on. I want them to know what hard work looks like." And that was music to my ears. And you know, the the Ken, um, Koshy and Keith Thomas turned the club around from putting tarps over the seats and 12,000 members to uh, literally a year later, we're up around 45, 50,000 members. And we went to Adelaide Oval from footy park with some real momentum. So Mm. um, yeah, we we had a great group, uh, a a great team, fitness team around us and medical team. And and we were just able to really instill that belief in the players that they're working harder than everybody else. And they probably were, um, uh, we, we took the guys to Dubai for camps, which we were ridiculed a bit because everyone was going to altitude at the time. But um, we wanted the guys to be able to play footy, not climb up mountains and, um, you know, put ski masks on and try and kick footy around. So we we went, used cricket ovals and we took, we we're always the sort of poor cousins of the crows. So we took mm. them to, had some contacts in Dubai to, uh, the Prince of Dubai's private facility, and the players were treated like absolute rock stars, mm. and it gave them a real belief that, and i were elite athletes. We can, yeah, we can play, and and yep. and we got some pretty good early success.
1: Yeah, just finally, Darren. Um if you do ever get itchy feet, uh, again, uh, at the Melbourne football club, there, not suggesting that you are for, I don't want to start a rumor or anything, but, um, as someone who's, you know, takes a, a fairly nerdy look at sport generally, <laughs> um, is there a particular team or code or country that you would like to work with, you know, a particular Olympic sport or in a, in a, in a league somewhere? Else. Is there anything else that you'd think, gee, I'd love to apply my skills there?
2: um do you know what not not really tim and um uh yeah when you work for teams like liverpool and arsenal that sort of rules out there's not yep. too many teams that are sort of above that um uh the job at arsenal was you know at a director level so um i've always been fascinated by the nfl um so maybe one day uh, i've done some consulting over there and that, that's i love watching it uh, i really have taken a great interest in it but Uh, my kids are nine and 10 at the moment and you know they're pretty important years for them coming up and the D's are in a really great space and the club has been incredible um to work for and the people are fantastic so uh we're in a a real sweet spot as a list at the moment and hopefully i can keep riding uh the the demons roller coaster that most fans would know about better than me Mm.
1: Well, the Demons fans will be absolutely delighted to hear you say that, Darren. So (laughs) well done. Congratulations on your part in their success in this uh, season 2021. And uh, we'll be watching them with interest. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for your time.
2: No worries, Tim. Absolute pleasure.
1: You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bowra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Stuff for your face and body? It's
0: men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.